Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com slash deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com slash deals. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> this is the Rich Eisen Show. I love the fit. With guest host, Susie Schuster. I love it. You do. I love it. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. How uh, best to describe how the Niners are processing everything. I'd never been in a more devastated locker room. And that's saying something because I've covered this team for several years now. Earlier on the show, veteran NBA reporter Howard Beck. Coming up, Pro Football Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. Fox Sports College Football Analyst Bruce Feldman. And now, it's Susie Schuster. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you out there. Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen taking a well-deserved Valentine's rest. I think he needs it. Uh, Andrew Siciliano will be in with, for the rest of the week. I, I, I got things to do, people. I'm just saying, you know. Great to be with all of you. Chris Brockman, how are you? Happy What's Valentine's up, to Happy you. Happy Valentine's Day. Good hello. to see you. How, hello, hello. You sound a little blasé and jaded with that. I want no, like no, a little more. Mikey D, Mikey D, good to see you. TJ, see of course, you. and I'm not sure what you could be doing that would be more fun than kicking it with the three of us, dude. But. You know I'd rather do this than almost anything else, but <laughs> when I add Kurt Warner to the mix, my Hall of Famer, that's when it really becomes a Valentine's for me. That's all you do. You get Hall of Famers yeah. and all-time greats w- it, w- when you host. That's how I time. roll, and here he is, Kurt Warner here, joining us on the Rich Eisen Show. What's your plan for Brenda? Because <laughs> nobody loves his wife more than you love Brenda Warner. What's the plan? That That is true, but I have absolutely nothing planned. Ooh. Valentine's, nah, I'm not. I'm not all into Valentine's. And as you know, Super Bowl last week, I got a wedding this week for my son. So um, we're, we're, we're not going all out. We got people coming in from all over the place. So last night it was just, I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. And we're kind of moving on. So, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, a huge Valentine's Day guy. That is a veteran move awesome. on your part. Uh, there's a cute little trophy over your shoulder. I wonder if it was welded or if it's, oh, wait a minute, it's a Super Bowl trophy. Sorry about that. Just wondering oh, about that. she could that. weld it, though. She could weld the second one if uh, if she wanted to. So maybe I ought to have her do that. Weld, like, three Lombardi trophies back there, even though I haven't won them. Just just to look really cool. I think uh, I think one is enough. I think no need to be selfish. But, Kurt, we spoke at length on what the football about Brock Purdy ahead of the Super Bowl, and you taught me so much um, about anticipation, and, and we spoke about how underappreciated it seems like he was and your inside thoughts on how he plays all season long. And I'm just curious about what you thought about his play at the Super Bowl. I thought he played well in the Super Bowl. Now, you know, it was kind of a tale of two halves for both teams. Uh, 
I didn't think the Chiefs offense and I didn't think Patrick played great in the first half. I thought Brock played really well in the first half, uh, not as well in the second half, although, um, you know, give credit to the Chiefs defense, give credit to the fact that he didn't have a lot of guys open. There wasn't a lot of good things going on for the 49ers as a whole in the second half. Um, but, but he didn't play quite as well, but I, I think if, you know, if you take it, uh, as a whole, um, I thought Brock, you know, he, he looks the part he's looked the part since he's taken over as a starter. He looked the part in the super bowl. He made a bunch of big throws. Um, he put him in a position to win and, and, and that's all you ask for. I mean, what you realize in the super bowl is there's a lot of emotions, a lot of things that go on. We understand what's at stake. Um, I mean, let's just flip it. And, and I understand that we're going to look at Patrick Mahomes and what he's done late in games because he's special. He's gifted, maybe the best quarterback we've ever seen. But if you look at his four super bowls, he hasn't played great in any of those super bowls, in my opinion. And, you know, a lot of it was, you know, you go two, three quarters where he's not playing great football. Now he's got the ability to turn it on and his defense keeps him close enough that he's special down the stretch. And that's what we remember. But if you look at the whole of his super bowls uh, and then compare it to what Brock did in this game, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think very comparable, if not, you know, maybe more, um, you know, maybe even a little bit better from Brock when you look at at the whole of it. Um, not as many special plays, not as many game changing plays as Patrick makes, but that's that's kind of a given. Who who is he going to play against where he doesn't make more of those plays than the other quarterback? But uh, I just think you know you have to look at it as a whole. And, and I thought Brock looked the part and played well enough to give his team a chance to win. Well enough to put to rest the conversation about him being good enough to be there. Um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've said it since day one. I mean, I, what, what does that mean? You know, good enough to be there. He was there. I mean, uh, you know, we got a lot of quarterbacks in this league that were good players that never get to this point, that never get that opportunity, that never make the plays in the moment that gets you there. And, you know, I was the first one to say it, you know, the first two playoff games were maybe the two worst playoff games I've or two worst games I've seen Brock play in the time that he's been a starter. But he did enough, and he made the plays down the stretch. And you give credit to the team; the team keeps him in it, or the defense makes the plays, uh, you know, to keep him within reach. And then he made the plays that he needed to. I mean, it's kind of like with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, we we throw this whole Super Bowl on Patrick Mahomes, where if you look at it, I mean, you got to give credit to their defense. I mean, they were down. 10 points, but they gave San Francisco nothing in the second half, gave them no chance and smothered them giving Patrick chance after chance after chance and hanging around to get there. And so, um, you know, these, these wins and losses in Super Bowls are, are, are team efforts. And the bottom line is, is you got to play well enough to give yourself a chance. And then everybody's got to come along for the party. And then sometimes you've got to make a couple extra plays as the quarterback because there were a couple things that Brock missed in this game where you say, man, if I could have just had that one back or that one back. But, you know, there was plays all over the place. And bottom line, give yourself a team a chance to win. You give your team the lead in overtime. And, you know, the defense has to come up and, and do their part. Like I, I mean, I could go back, you know, to my Super Bowl victory, right? We did our part and we scored a touchdown. And the defense had to do their part and make the tackle on the one yard line to solidify the game. That's the beauty of football is that it's a team sport. Sometimes that's the worst part of football. It's a team sport that you can't do it by yourself. And you got to count on other guys to do their part, 
Or sometimes, now I could take another Super Bowl against the Steelers. Sometimes there's just great players on the other side, and those great players make the play or a couple plays, Antonio Holmes, Ben Roethlisberger, and you tip your hat to them and go, man, you know, when it, when it counted, that guy made one more play than we did or made a special play um, in that moment to seal the deal. And, you know, that's kind of what it, what it comes down to a lot of times. And you're playing against the best quarterback on the other side. you got to just do everything you can possibly do to, to try to separate yourself. Kurt Warner joining us here on the Rich Eisen Show. Susie Schuster in for Rich. You're three days removed from calling the Super Bowl on Westwood One. What are your takeaways? Um, I mean, uh, you know, I think the takeaway is that it wasn't a great football game and probably more so offensively because I'm an offensive guy for about three quarters. Um, and then the game just was awesome. You know, it was back and forth and it was the chess match. And when, you know, the Chiefs needed to make a play, they made the play. And then, you know, all the, the drama at the end of what Kyle Shanahan's going to do and then, you know, taking it to overtime and then the decisions. I mean, it, you know, becomes a great game because of all the stuff that happened late in it, even though I don't know if it was a great game specifically offensively uh, for, for three quarters. But, um, but you know, who cares? At the end of the day, we want the drama. We want a great finish. We want some controversy so we can talk about it after. And this game had all of that along with great playmaking and, you know, one of those guys that, that, that will go down as one of the greatest ever you know, doing what he needed to do in the moment, which to me, when, when it's all said and done, it's probably going to be Patrick and, and Tom, and, and that's where the debate's going to be. And what made Tom so great? What made Tom great was in the moment when they needed him to make a play, he always made the play and gave him a chance. And that's what we got to see again from Patrick Mahomes to kind of keep stacking up, uh, you know, his arguments or his resume to one day stack against Tom Brady. We know the Chiefs are having their parade right now. What's it like being in a parade? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's awesome because what you realize in, in sports and, and especially in our game, uh, you know, I mean, fandom is awesome and it's awesome to be a part of a, a really good team because it's not just the 53 guys in the building or it's not just, you know, everybody that works for the team. You bring an entire community with you. A entire community comes together, whether that's, you know, on a Sunday afternoon in Arrowhead or whether that's when you're out in public and, and you're talking about it and everybody's excited about it, or whether that's at a parade is that you bring a community with you. You know I mean? You guys know everybody's it's, it's our team and we should have done this and we did this. That's the beauty of sports. And that's the beauty of our sport is that it brings our fan base along with us. And that's what the parade is. It's like all of us, we were all in this together. It wasn't just the guys on the field, but it was, it was the fans and the fan base and the excitement and uh, the energy and the community that was brought together by it. And so the, you know, the, the parade is that celebration of all of us together, um, you know, accomplishing something and, and fighting for one cause and, and loving each other, you know, because, we're a part of, of your team and you're a part of our team. And so that to me is what the parade was all about. And it was so much fun and you get hundreds of thousands of people coming down and everybody just having a great time and celebrating together. Anything crazy happened that you remember? I mean, clearly you're not the kind of guy who's going to toss a Lombardi <laughs> anywhere. No, no. I mean, I, yeah, there was, there was not a lot of drinking going on in, uh, in, in my truck. Uh, I had a couple of little kids in my lap. It was cold outside. Um, you know, so it, but, you know, it was pretty uneventful from that standpoint. I think um, just like everything else in, in our world, 
Uh, the parades have ramped up over the years and the craziness has ramped up over the years. Um, it, fun to see, uh, fun, fun to watch as long as it's all in control and, and, and you know, nothing outrageous happens. But, um, you know, it, it's it's your chance to party, you know, as, as Travis says, Travis Kelsey says, right, you earn their right to party. Um, and uh, let's do it. Let's do it together on uh, on parade day. Before we let you go, we're inching towards the combine. Who are you looking forward to seeing there? I'm looking forward to seeing all the guys. You know, I love to watch guys compete. I love to watch them come out and throw. And more importantly, you know, try to meet them and connect with them in hopes that if there's a way that I can help them down the road, uh, I'll help them. But you like to see everybody throw in person. I don't get a chance to go to all the pro days or I don't get a chance to sit down in meetings with these guys. So to uh, to rub elbows and talk to them a little bit, build that relationship, watch them throw in person, even though, you know, I'm not a huge combine guy. You don't tell a whole lot from – guys throwing against air. Um, but there's a little bit that you can, you can pull from it. And, um, you know, and I, I haven't got to see any of these, um, you know, these, these top quarterbacks play in person and we've got a number of them. So I'm, I'm excited to see them all go out there and, and compete. Who are you most curious about? Um, you know, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm curious about all of them because I, I don't watch a lot of college football because in the NFL season, I'm, fully engrossed in the NFL and it takes all my time. Um, but, but, you know, I, I want to see them all throw first and foremost, um, you know, because there's, there's a difference between being just a playmaker and, and being a thrower and understanding how to throw the football, not just, can I throw it from point A to point B, but do I understand how to throw it? And that's usually what I take from the combine is, do you know how to throw the different throws? Are you trying to throw everything like a laser? Are you trying to see how far you can throw a go route or do you understand how to throw it? And you're trying to complete every throw. And so uh, I, I want to see that. I want I want to see the capabilities of all these guys when they make the different kinds of throws and they have the footwork. And, and, and all of that stuff is what I look for, kind of the nuance that you were talking about with Brock Purdy. That's kind of the nuance that I watch at the combine. And so uh, I look forward to, to seeing all of these top guys because they were all great and they all had great seasons. Uh, in college football. But, you know, what we know is there's great quarterbacks in college football. It doesn't translate to being great at the NFL level. There's average college players that can be great at the NFL level. So not all of that stuff translates. Um, but understanding how to throw the football, I think, is something that always translates. Um, and so that's what I'm looking forward to. And, I, and I'm looking forward to watching all these all these guys throw. TJ, got a quick question? I do. Hey, Kurt. So Rich Brockman and I, we always have this thing we talk about. At the end of the game, when it's all said and done, would you rather be blown out or would you rather lose a tight game? Now, I was driving home from yeah. watching the Super Bowl. I was listening to you, and I thought I heard you say that at that point you may have rather have taken the blowout. And that's kind of – Chris <laughs> and I kind of agree yeah. with that sometimes because it feels like when a tight game, you can just second-guess everything you've done for the rest of your life. But if you yeah. kind of get stomped out earlier, then you know it just wasn't your day. So I'm just wondering, what is, yeah. what's a player's perspective on, on that? Yeah, you know, that was probably more tongue in cheek, um, you know, but but I think bottom line is that I think there's something to if you go into a Super Bowl and the other teams just flat out the better team. Mm-hmm. OK, you kind of reserve yourself and go, you know what? Hey, we got here and it was great. and We made a run, but we just the other team was just flat out better than us. And then sometimes when you play a really good game and it goes back and forth and then you lose, you, you know, you, you do, you think about it. You're like, Oh my gosh, if, if that one play would have been different or if this would have been different, or we were so close to, to making history mm-hmm. and, and we lost it on, on, on one play here or there. I, I think that definitely can be more painful um, because 
that's what we do as players is when you play close games, you scrutinize everything you do and, and you beat yourself up over, gosh, why didn't I make that one throw? Or why did I make that decision right there? And, and those things hang with you. When you get blown out, usually it's kind of just like, hey, you wipe your hands a bit and like, oh, well, whether it wasn't our day or they were just a better team, we can't really scrutinize anything because, you know, there's a million different things that went wrong. And and sometimes easier to put it aside and move forward. Um, but but I think at the end of the day, if I'm playing in the Super Bowl, I want to be in a position to give my team a chance. I want to be in a close game. I want to have an opportunity. And I want to leave going, hey, we could have been Super Bowl champs, you know, kind of like the Arizona game against the Steelers. You score with two and a half minutes to go. And, and, and at the end of the game, it was about great players making plays, but you at least walked off that field going, you know what? We were good enough to be Super Bowl champions. We represented ourselves well in this moment even though we're not walking away with the trophy. Okay, would you have wanted the ball in your hands then to start overtime? Absolutely not. Um, you know, like <laughs> for me, it, in overtime, like I understand, you know, when you say, you know, we want the third possession of the game. But when I go into overtime, there will be no third possession. Like my mentality is not playing for the next possession. Like if we punt on this possession, well, maybe we can win it on the next my mentality is give me the football. Tell me what we need to do. And we're going to go do it. Like we're going to go finish this thing right now. I'm not playing for a second possession in overtime. All those things can, can make sense. I can understand completely why Kyle would do that and what that would mean. Uh, but to me, um, that's the first part is the winning mentality. And, and what I thought was interesting was at the end of the game. Well, I mean, we could look at a couple times, you know, can't there, San Francisco's down in the red zone tight um, in the second half, and they go for it on fourth down. Okay, I thought probably should kick right there, take the points. They go for it, then they score a touchdown. Then at the end of the game, they're playing with the win mentality, third and five. We're throwing the football. We're trying to finish this thing right now. And then you have overtime, and you're going, oh, well, we're going to play for the third possession. And, and again, not that they were just playing for the third possession, but they're thinking about it completely differently than I, the way I thought they thought about it during the game was we're going for it. We are going for it to finish this game and to make plays. Um, but then I thought the mentality changed. And that's the biggest thing to me is mentality wise. I want to say we're finishing it on the first possession. We're not thinking about anything beyond this is overtime. What do we have to do to not give the other team the football back? And, you know, and the other thing I think of it, from strategic standpoint is, you know, we saw San Francisco come out and they get the ball. And in this day and age, you're going to get the ball on the 25 yard line for sure. You know, you're going to have a touchback. So you're going to have to go the long distance. And what I think in those moments is that sometimes when you, when you take the ball first or you give the other team the ball first, they're thinking about it like, okay, we can't make a mistake right here. We've got to play. And, and you might play a little bit more conservatively from your own 25-yard line. So if you can get a three and out, which almost happened to San Francisco, now you're stealing not only the possession, but you're, you're stealing the field position, uh, which oftentimes can be so huge because when the kickers are as good as they are in this league, if you get stopped on a three and out and you have to punt, then you're 20 yards away from getting an opportunity to win the football game. So even from a strategic field position, kind of the way it plays out, I would want the other team to have the ball first. So they have to play a little bit more tentative. And then more importantly, when the ball gets back in my hands, I know exactly what we have to do 
to to win. And and I'm thinking about we've got to get a field goal or at least getting a field goal. But I'm thinking about we're getting a touchdown. And if we need a two point conversion, we're getting a touchdown or two point conversion. And I am not handing the ball back to the other team on the third possession. Last question for you, Kurt Warner, because football season never ends. What should the Bears do at quarterback? I mean, you know, I've, I've been outspoken on this. And, um, you know, and, and we can sit here and, and I can, you know, fully buy into that it hasn't been fair with Justin Fields because of the different coordinators and the lack of talent around Justin Fields and all of that stuff. But if I'm making this decision um, and I'm the Bears brass, I simply have to ask the question, has he proven to me that he's a franchise quarterback? Now, it might be unfortunate. Well, we didn't give him the pieces to prove it. Or, you know, like I said, well, we changed coordinators so many times that we didn't give him an opportunity to be his best. I get that. But the bottom line is we're in this moment, and that is the question you have to ask. And if the question, if the answer to that question is not definitively yes, we believe he's a franchise quarterback. We have seen him enough to say he's a franchise quarterback. I believe you have to move on. You've got the number one pick. There's other quarterbacks out there that, you know, project to be really good. No guarantees. We know that, but project to be really good that unless you know, without a shadow of a doubt that Justin Fields is that guy, I believe you have to go the other route Um, because now it's still speculation and uh, it's still the fact that we're going to have to pay him a big dollar deal, um, you know, whether he's proven to, that to us or not. And so I just I feel like there is only one way to go in this. If the answer to your question is he hasn't proven it yet, not that he isn't going to be that guy or he can't be that guy. But if he hasn't proven it to you yet, I don't believe you can move forward with him and sign him to the big deal when you're sitting in this position that you're sitting in. Um because you just don't know. There's still too much unknown with Justin Fields uh, to go that route, in, uh, in, in my opinion. Kurt, have the greatest wedding. Enjoy every single second of it. <laughs> Thanks again for being so unselfish with your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, you got it. Always a pleasure to be on. Give my love to Bren. Will do. That is Thanks, Kurt sir. Warner. He is our MVP, our Hall of Famer, and it's just great to have him on the show. Bruce Feldman is here. I will ask him what the heck is happening in college football. <laughs> Probably nothing else. It's a long question. I'm hoping he unpacks a lot of the money ahead. It is staggering. That's ahead on the Rich Eisen Show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences 
each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is a letter okay. written in March of 1998 to Colts owner Jim Ursay, who had at the time, a month away in the draft, the decision between you and Peyton Manning. Right. It's from Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, dear James, dear James, dear James, in response to your addled request for a quick $30 million loan to secure the services of the Manning kid, I have to say no at this time, but the leaf boy is another matter. He looks strong and Manning doesn't, or at least not strong enough to handle that welcome to the NFL business for two years without a world-class offensive line. How are you fixed at left OT for the next few years, James? Think about it. You don't want a China doll back there when that freak sap comes crashing in. (laughs) Okay, let me know if you need some money for Leaf. I expect to be very rich when this Depp movie comes out. Your faithful consultant, Hunter, and it's signed HST. The absurdity of the fact that A, Hunter S. Thompson knew who I was, and B, that he was... He was trying to persuade Mr. Ursay to draft me instead was just comical and tw- not to see it for 20 years. How does it, it just, it's just nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Right. I called John Walsh of ESPN. It's a thousand percent real. Wow. And Hunter S. Thompson was a huge NFL fan and obviously had an opinion on, on the 1998 draft. This well, I is, think now that we know that every, a lot of people had an opinion on the 1998 <laughs> NFL draft. This and, is amazing. Isn't that amazing? I love that line. Is that you don't want a China doll back there when that freak sap comes crashing in? <laughs> the irony of all this, this right? The That's irony true. of this, he would go on and play, start the most consecutive games of anybody, <laughs> and I would be injured going into year two and miss the entire oh, season. God. So we're just, just reminding people. Strong of, underlined. Yes, yeah, strong. strong. Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Show Radio Network. I'm sitting at the Rich Eisen Show desk furnished by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger's got the right product for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. By the way, I'm Susie Schuster in for Rich, my husband, who is home sick on Valentine's Day, Bruce Feldman. So <laughs> happy Valentine's Day, Bruce. Happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully I don't get the cold for you and pass along to my wife and then... <laughs> It'll be full circle. Oh, no, it's the full flu, and you don't want any part of it. I'm on the other side of the house. I'm wearing a hazmat suit in the house. <laughs> I mean, someone's, let, let's face it, a mom flu and a dad flu are very different. How are they, how are they different? Mm, interesting. A, a mom's. This is a hot take. A mom is up making dinner the next day. And my family's yeah. like, you don't make dinner. A mom is up attempting to make dinner the next day. A dad's out for three to five. Uh, uh, don't you don't. This is fact. Anti dad. Be careful. You can't shatter the guy's impression of what Rich Eisen is like. His intestinal fortitude, his toughness, his character. Like, I mean. You're just basically telling these guys that there's no Santa Claus now. Well, I'm, I'm saying that dad is an, I'm saying that Rich is an all-time dad, but like this sign says best mom ever. And like you're so full of it, Brockman, because you know that I'm true. This is so true. 
Anti-dadism. Like you're taking shots at my guy. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Oh, here. this is so lame. Are you kidding me? I'm uh, not taking any shots. He fancies himself as like the Jim Marshall of dads. Rich like was his... Rich was literally vomiting in between questions with Orlovsky yesterday. He was in the middle of an interview. <laughs> Luckily, they were on a one-shot, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, does Orlovsky know this that he drove a I host? Don't think to... He does not know this. Actually, he, <laughs> he literally made a host sick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a lovely guy. I don't think it was anything but that. It could have just been just the nonstop vomit yesterday. But that's a whole different conversation to be had. Hi, Bruce. Hi, how are you? You know, I'm just great. Uh, you heard our conversation with Kurt Warner. and You, you thought it was interesting what he had to say about the Bears quarterback position. Yeah, it's a tricky spot because you have a really gifted athlete who's done some good things in Justin Fields. He's not old. He's just, I mean, and he's also had, as, as, as uh, Kurt told you, he had a lot of transition around him uh, you know in terms of offensive coordinators and everything else now if you sit there and say all right we believe that caleb is special and we think he is as close to can't miss as we can get um then i do think it's a movie probably made because i i don't think there's anything again and i'm not in the building with in the bears building but i i don't think there's anything they could say definitively as oh he is um, you know he he's a sure thing. Cause it's not, it's not like he's done what CJ just did right in Houston. Um, he could be really good. He also could be like pretty good. And if he's just pretty good and he, and he's up and down and you're sitting there going, man, we, we, we passed up a chance to have a legit franchise quarterback. And look, maybe they feel that way about Drake may. I have no idea. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like it feels like it's safer in an optics way to, to, to trade him and then hit the reset button. But I know, I know that that's not a great answer either. It, it just really depends to me on what you feel like about these other quarterbacks coming out. Um, and again, Caleb does some remarkable stuff on film. He's also, you know, I don't know if he's picked up some bad habits because he's played behind a bad offensive line this year because he's had a bad defense that, you know, has been on the other side of the team for much of his career in college. I, I don't know what, you know, he certainly had good good skill guys around him. He just didn't have a good offensive line. So if you're the GM, do you put everything, all of your eggs into the Caleb Williams basket? I would. I would. I just think he is such a gifted passer. I think the things you have to feel really comfortable about, you know, and this goes for anybody. I think you have to have a good offensive line in front of him. But I think... Justin Fields can do some spectacular stuff when he has nothing around him. Ultimately, I think, you know, that could be a five-win team and with some spectacular highlights. The question is, can you be the franchise guy? And again, I'm not saying Justin can't be that guy. I mean, he's still really young. And by the way, he's had a bunch of different, you know, coordinators over his college time because he started at Georgia, then obviously went to Ohio State, did really well there. Um you know, again, and I'm not in the, you know, it's like we're not in the meetings with that are going to happen in Indianapolis. They're not in the meetings that are going to happen after the after the combine to, to see, OK, what do we really believe? Like, I know enough people at, inside USC that think really highly of Caleb. Um, I think there's some circumstance around him that makes it, you know, there's no such thing as a sure thing. There just isn't, you know, I mean, I. I remember last year, not around this time, but maybe like a month after the draft, there was a lot of debate over how much this cognitive, these cognitive tests really mattered compared to what people saw on film 
from C.J. Stroud. I thought C.J. Stroud was the safer pick because he's a physically bigger guy than Bryce, but that's not what this discussion is now. This is, it's just a different question, but that's why it's so interesting in the draft. And C.J. Stroud has made it that much more difficult for every other quarterback coming out because he's made it look so easy. And, I mean, you can't compare. And then you see how these are the two guys that everyone's talking about. It depends on who the coach is what the lines look like, but who do you expect to shine in this combine? As the quarterbacks, you know, Caleb's skill set is, is really impressive. Just as, a, you know, he's almost built like a running back in a lot of ways. He's really sturdy. He is very elusive and strong. Um, I get why he's compared to physically some sometimes to Patrick Mahomes. That's unfair to both of them because um, one guy is on track to be one of the greatest NFL players in the history of the sport. The other guy hasn't really done anything. He's just, you know, just had a team that won seven games at USC. But I think I could see that part, you know, doing well. I'm interested to see what um, Jaden Daniels, how he is in the draft process, because he had an amazing year and he improved so much at UCLA from what the guy he was at Arizona State. Now, physically, he's not a big guy. I think people will see. He's pretty wiry. He's gotten a lot bigger since he was, you know, first got to Arizona State. But I think he's going to be an interesting evaluation. The other one I think will be interesting is J.J. McCarthy because, you know, J.J. is also a really gifted, you know, I think similar to Daniels where, you know, he's a guy who might run in the four fours or at least low four fives. And unlike the other guys, he was not asked to do a ton as a passer. I'm not saying they didn't throw it at all because, he, you know, he definitely – throws well on the run. There's a lot of stuff that I think would impress people. And he's a winner. I mean, you see what what he did. And I think some of the character stuff, I think, for him, um, I think will play well in, in regards to maybe the statistics. And some, I don't think the NFL gets caught up in, oh, this guy threw for 4,000 yards, whereas this guy threw for 2,500. I, I think they want to see certain things on film, and I think they'll see it. Um, I think those are two really interesting evaluations. And the other one that to me is the biggest one, and Rich and I talked about him probably a month ago, was Michael Penix Jr. Just because of, there's just a lot I think the NFL is going to be sorting through. But he had a spectacular time at Washington those last two years. It's Valentine's Day, Bruce, and thank you for joining us in the studio. I don't know if I'm getting in the way of your planning for some kind of exciting, <laughs> elaborate Valentine's Day ahead. But since I have to give Rich some kind of Valentine's Day, let's talk about some of the other Michigan guys that you expect to do well in the combine. Yeah, I think Chris Jenkins, whose dad was a great player in the NFL. I mean, he was a guy Jim Harbaugh told me in July. He thought he could be a top 10 pick. Chris Jenkins has gotten a lot bigger and stronger and more explosive since he first got to Ann Arbor. Um, really good player. I don't think he will. Sorry. sorry. I don't think he will end up as high as that, but I think I could see him being a first round guy. Um, I, you know, again, we wrote about this yesterday. There, I think there's 18 guys from Michigan, which is a combine record invited to Indianapolis. And when I saw Harbaugh over the summer, he predicted that they would break Georgia's draft record and said that they would have, you know, last year it was 15 that Georgia had. And people kind of snickered about that. It was like, Michigan, what? And then you started to see all these guys. Now, I don't think there's a ton of top, you know, 25 kind of guys in this group, but I think it's a lot of guys who will be middle round players who are really good college players. And then there's a handful of them. You know, it'll be fascinating to see how Roman Wilson, who was their top receiver, 
is not very big, but is very explosive, really quick. Uh, I, you know, when he was at Michigan, the strength coaches told me he was testing off the charts there. And so we want to, he did really well in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. I mean, I don't think he's a guy who's big enough to play himself into the first round, especially it's a really deep draft of receivers. But I think he's a guy that will be an interesting one to, to watch in Indianapolis. I think there's a bunch of other guys who are really good players. Like Mike Sandra still is a smaller, you know, a smaller uh, defensive back who is just a great college player. I mean, he's a really good athlete. He's just physically, you know, I remember before the Ohio State game, I was with an NFL scout in warmups and we talked about him. He was like, just, you know, he's a really good college player. You just don't know if he's going to hold up in the NFL and certain people want bigger and he's physically not a huge guy. But I, to me, I would not bet against that guy because he's one of the best players I've seen in college football on defense in like the last five years. And he stepped up, he made a ton of good plays. He, he uh, you know, he's really athletic. And I just think there's something about guys who just have this kind of savvy and knack where they're always around the football, you know, and he's got that. So I think he's one to keep an eye on wherever he ends up. I feel like I'm broadcasting for an audience of one. So I'm going to keep talking about Michigan football. How good can they be? It seems like Harbaugh has just taken so many coaches along with him. He has. I mean, look, Ben Herbert to me was the biggest loss. And if you were a Michigan fan, I know we had reported that uh, when Harbaugh left that Herbert was expected to go and people were like kind of incredulous because honestly the role of the strength coach is seems to be a lot more significant with a college team than it is in the NFL or in the NFL you have some guys have their own trainers and it's really more of a developmental aspect in college. I think losing him is significant. Uh, they replaced him with a protege of his, which I think is probably as close to that as you can get. I'm fascinated to see how Wink Martindale does. He's a longtime NFL guy, big reputation in the NFL, but now he's going to the college game. There's still some good pieces on the side of the ball defensively. They lost a ton on offense. Now Donovan Edwards is still there, but and and Colston, you know, Colston Loveland, who's a really good tight end, is a borderline All-American kind of player. So you have some pieces to work with. What I'm wonder about is if you're a Michigan person or if you're Rich Eisen, for instance, you sit there and go, okay, you can take a deep breath. We just won the national title. We won it three years in a row. You know, if we win eight games, we go eight and four. I know you don't want that, but it's like, I don't think you're going to be pulling your hair out after this past year because it was such a roller coaster ride. I mean, given all the guys, like I said, 18 guys are going to the combine. This team is very depleted. There's still some good players, but it's not like they have coming back what Ohio State has coming back. They haven't added, you know, Ohio State in the portal added arguably the best defensive player in the country this year who was at Alabama. People thought he was going to go to Georgia and then Ohio State was able to win that recruiting battle. And, uh, you know, again, first time Sharon Moore, he has had coaching experience, but I think what you want to see is, does it, do they play like what we're used to Michigan playing. Cause I just, I, I think that, you know, again, if they can get to get to anything North of eight wins, I think after last year, after all the guys have lost and certainly after you lose Jim Harbaugh and the core, I mean, there's still a handful of guys who were on that coaching staff who will be there. I think that would be anything above that would be a positive sign. You have time for a second segment. Sure. Okay. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Let's break down this new college football deal with ESPN because the dollar signs are insane. Yeah. Well, unpack that when we come back with Bruce Feldman right here 
on The Rich Eisen Show. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. I will say this. Yes. I I am a man that knows when he's defeated. Yes. I was beaten this year. Yes. Um, So... My business manager was supposed to have the hat for us. He did not. Oh, we're throwing Jamal under the bus. Oh, we're throwing under the bus he right now. He did not bring Who is that thrown hat? under the bus by yeah, the bus we're just for right him. now? He's not, see, he didn't even show his face. He's. Uh, I, I was willing to wear this hat. He had it made up. Well, he everything. told me that the hat yeah. that he made up had the final score. No, he had the hat on there. Whatever. It, it was a hat. I don't know what that. The was. hat is supposed but, to read the following. The, I am the, going to. The, Listen the, to this. Okay. Hear this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the leaders and best. <laughs> wow. That is for you. Wow. Only. Wow. You know it. I honestly How, did not. for me to do that. I honestly can't have thought of anything else that you would do that would make me think that you would not have to follow through on your end of the wager, which is where an I should have gone to Michigan hat on the vaunted field of Notre Dame with touchdown Jesus behind you. But do I let him out of that end of the bet now? He's that was pretty epic, actually. And he nailed all the words. Well, he grew up in the the state of Michigan. He should know them. He should know them. I mean, that was like 40 years ago. I did not know them. I had to look them up to make sure I was saying it correctly for you. Also, also I'm getting visions of like Jerome practicing before he came out here. That did sound rehearsed. Yeah, it sounded rehearsed. That was great. That took a lot out of me. Great job, Jerome. (laughs) You know that. That was awesome. That was awesome. All right. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen. Bruce Feldman joins me now, of course, the Fox Sports and the Athletic. Chip Kelly, why leave a head coaching position to go be the OC at Ohio State? I think really the job he had at UCLA changed dramatically um, in the time he was there, you know, the six years. And it really did right when NIL came in. Um, I think for him... It was, you were going to be constantly fighting with a short stick. They would lose recruits as it became more and more of a thing where NIL really turned into pay for play. And I think they really had a hard time reconciling, hey, are we going to have boosters involved in the process? And then I also think you have a guy who honestly would much rather coach football and call plays 
and try to develop players as opposed to go spend a lot of time out on the booster circuit with donors and trying to really rally for NIL. And I think that was a that became increasingly harder, honestly, over time because I think there was a lot of UCLA fans who are over Chip Kelly, you know, a few years ago. So it was just a more of a disconnect. I think it grew further than that. I know this. Uh, this past year, in the they had a bowl game. His quarterback coach left to become the offense coordinator at Oregon State. So Kelly jumped in to be the quarterback coach, and I think he was very happy with that and liked being ha- be able to be hands on in the meeting with the players, where he was you're you're much more involved than you would be as a head coach. So when he interviewed for some NFL offensive coordinator jobs. I think that was appealing to him as opposed to some of the other stuff. And look, he's not alone in this where there's a lot of college football coaches right now who are frustrated by all the other stuff that now is a part of, of the job now in terms of the job requirement. I don't see him wanting to be a, the carnival barker guy to rally to get money. I mean, he's also, he does not even on social media. So I think some of these things just really did not line up. And the fact when the Ohio State offense coordinator job came open, I think it was very, you know, compelling for him because his relationship with Ryan Day. I mean, he grew up a mile down the road from Ryan Day. He recruited Ryan Day to New Hampshire. Then Ryan Day broke in as a coach under him. And then Kelly brought him with him to Philadelphia and then to the 49ers. Their families are close. So I think it's a, I think it was probably a, a win-win. I don't think he would have left for any probably any other college offensive coordinator job, but I think to go work with Ryan Day there where the resources they have, and I don't think he's going to have to be involved in some of the stuff he didn't want to be involved in, I think that probably seemed like a, a really good fit. You have to wonder if some of these coaches just don't want to deal with college football anymore with the NIL rules. No, I, I mean, I've heard from a bunch of them that like it gets to be really frustrating. I think it gets to be really frustrating because on one hand, there is there's the aspect of you are recruiting and then all of a sudden, once the conversation turned to money, and I've talked to guys on the UCLA staff about this in the last two weeks, and one of the assistants was like, yeah, whenever they would ask, I'm like, we have zilch, we have no money. So they're competing against teams that are, their NIL war chest is into the eight figures and UCLA's, from what I was told, was not even in the seven figure. Mm. So that's an uphill battle. And the flip side of it also is, there's a, there are some coaches also are, see some of the challenges that come from NIL in terms of what it can do to the locker room. It's not to say that players aren't deserving or that this it shouldn't be going into some of this direction, but I think there's also some challenges that come with it. I think it's not, you know, it's not insignificant that the team across town didn't even win it. You know, you say won eight games and beat USC pretty handily and USC didn't even win that many. And they have three collectives and we're much more involved on the NIL front. So it's not to say if you're if you're all in on that, you're you're assured of you know it's gonna everything's gonna be better. I think it gives you probably a better chance, but there's challenges that come with it too. I'm all for these players getting paid and getting uh, reimbursed, or if there's any other word to say it, for the time and effort that they put into it. I think you're 100% right about the division in the locker room. We've seen images of players pulling up in Lambos. And that's not exactly what people had in mind when they said, you know, give them a shot to be paid for what they're doing. You mentioned UCLA. Deshaun Foster announced as the new head coach. I love that so much from my years covering him 
when you came straight out of Tustin and went right up the 405 to go to UCLA. And I'm wondering how successful do you think he can be there? So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, like everybody likes Deshaun, right? You know, you've been around him all, like he is, he's just a good guy. He has a good way about him. He, he was a great player there. It wasn't just like they hired a guy who was a great player in the NFL, but like he was a, one of the best position coaches in the Pac-12. He developed really good players. I know from guys I've talked to on the staff said he's a disciplinarian. He knows how to solve problems. He had the pulse of the team. All those things are really good. I would not worry that, oh, he's never been a coordinator because he's going to hire somebody to call plays. I also think the fact that he was a great player there and is really well-liked, not just by people inside the program, but by former players. Now it's the, the, the thing is all the UCLA fans who are kind of over what they've had for the last five, six years, now they you know really need to step up and support the program in a big way. And it'll be interesting to see if they can ramp that up. I think he's going to probably keep a lot of the same assistance that Kelly had. And look, I think that there's, because he's been there for a long time, he has a lot of familiarity. I know he, he left for the Raiders for like a couple of weeks, but I think given the circumstances to me, this was, this was probably about as good a hire. I think of all the people I heard were in the mix as serious candidates when this started, including Deshaun, I think this is probably as good a hire as they could have made. How are you seeing the relationship of coaches to players change as college football progresses from the Nick Sabans of the world who were that paternal-like coach who um, were full disciplinarians to having some of these coaches that are younger and perhaps can communicate with these players perhaps more effectively? Well, we've seen, obviously, in the NFL, a bunch of younger coaches have had a lot of success. Obviously, Sean McVay, really, really young. Doesn't mean that they're not, you know, didn't grow up in the business, not really, you know, savvy. I think what has changed in the last few years is college football has become way more transactional. And there's no way around that. And so it doesn't mean, just because somebody's young doesn't mean they can't be a real disciplinarian. And I think in a lot of ways, and I'll use, the, again, the, the Foster example, like he's a guy who had a really good room that he coached. And I think he had commanded respect. And now it's like what, like to me, the job as being a college head coach has changed a lot in the last few years, especially if you don't have like certain programs have way more support than others. I'm not just talking about financial. I'm talking about the resources to hire a lot of other people. And I think what, what you have to see is, okay, it's one thing to be a great X and O's guy, but there's so much more that goes into the job of running a program now. And whether it's like across town, Lincoln Riley's a brilliant offensive mind, but there's, you know, like right now they're trying to find that balance. They shook up the whole defensive staff because obviously it wasn't good enough. And I think it gets to be a part where it's like, okay, what's the identity of this program? What is our culture? And I think that starts with the head coach. It has to. Let's quickly, we have one minute left. Let's unpack this new college football deal with ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people initially thought it was going to be split because if you look at the NFL model, NFL, you know, there's a bunch of big networks that have different inv investments in it and spread around. That's what not this, that's not what this one's going to be. Now, it's possible that ESPN ends up farming out a game or two to one of the other networks. In full disclosure, I work for one of the other networks at Fox. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, obviously for ESPN, it's a, college football has been a big part of its identity, whereas like some of the other networks, 
I think are way more invested into the NFL side of it. Six-year deal, $1.3 billion. It is crazy how much money college football brings in. It really is kind of insane, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, the ratings aren't what they are for, like, big NFL. The ratings are still really big compared to almost everything else. In in one last question, we've got 30 seconds to go here. Who's in best position for college football as we head into the fall? In terms of team Mm, or, you know... There's a lot of turnover. Alabama, new coach. Michigan, new coach. Ohio State, a lot of new stuff. Ohio State, honestly, is the way they've gone all in on NIL and the portal this offseason. They are the most intriguing team to see right now. New Big Ten, but, you know, Ryan Day adds his buddy to to help run the offense or to run the offense. I think that's the team that everyone's going to be fascinated by. Oh boy, Rich, are you okay out there? I don't. I know it's not what you want to hear on Valentine's Day, you know, but... Oh, he's got a national championship from a couple of weeks ago. He'll be fine. But he'll be moving on to the next season so fast. Bruce, I really appreciate your time. This has been Bruce Feldman here from The Athletic and Fox right here on The Rich Eisen Show. Hour three ahead. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said is so true that um, he will relish in the championship for about another 15 seconds. But the minute the game starts in the fall, he's going to go back to pacing in the back of the room. Because that's what he does. He can't sit and watch a game. I think he's going to really, am I right about this, honey? You're watching at home on Roku. Um, I really think that he is worshiping the very, the idea of being a national champion to him. Like his heart explodes. But the minute the game starts in the fall, sweat. Yeah, I get that. It's not like the it's not like next season is not going to happen. I just still think if you are like everything that Jim Harbaugh did, I think kind of validated the Michigan way, right? So, you know, it's going to be growing pains. I, I think like, look, as long as there's promise and say, hey, we can, they could still be a playoff team if they win nine games next year because mm-hmm. the playoffs going to be twelve teams. So, you know, I guess the question is going to be what is success, but they just lost so many guys. So many guys, so many coaches. Yeah, I think the coaches is significant too, but it's just like to lose, like because Washington's in a similar wet place. Washington is only has two returning starters back out of 20. Like, I can't imagine that they're going to be, Jed Fish is a really good coach, but he's not taking over the team that Kalen DeBoer just, you know, played Michigan with. No, it's totally different. All right, Bruce, thank you so much for your time. I wish you a happy Valentine's Day. You too. Hopefully you don't get what Rich has. Uh, that's going to be my Valentine's Day present from me to me is staying clear of the flu. Bruce, thanks again for your time. Hour three ahead.